This program is brought to you by BibleWayMedia.org, overseen by the Uloga Church of Christ in Uloga, Oklahoma. We want to continue in our studies today in the book of Daniel as we study Daniel chapter 1. And the theme of Daniel chapter 1 is a teenager who refused to defile himself. You know, imagine yourself being a teenager, 14 to 16 years of age. You've been taken away from your home and carried over 500 miles away into a foreign land, which is what happened to Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now you're in a different culture. The people speak a strange language that you don't understand. They do things that you've been taught not to do. They influence you to adopt their wicked ways. Temptations face you from every side. They want to change your culture. They want to change your religion. What do you do? What do you do? Do you change to accommodate this new standard of morals? Nobody at home will ever know that you've exchanged your morals. Do you hold to the morals that you've been taught and are willing to face the ridicule and persecution that will come your way because of your stance? Will you refuse to defile yourself or will you just go along with the flow? This very situation happened to a group of Jewish youngsters who were taken captive from Jerusalem and carried over 500 miles to the city of Babylon. What did they do? So today, let's give a study or do a study of Daniel chapter 1. First of all, we'll see Nebuchadnezzar's first expedition there to Jerusalem in Daniel chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. And the time frame here is 606 B.C. It said, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God. And he brought the vessels into the treasure house of his God. So now we see this is the first time that Nebuchadnezzar came down, and we got quite a bit of background in our study in the book of Ezekiel in looking at King Nebuchadnezzar and the things that were taking place during the time of Ezekiel. Of course, Ezekiel was taken captive in 597, so that would have been a few years later on. We'll also see in Daniel chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, that Zedekiah's offspring were to be taken to Babylon. Daniel chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. And the king spake to Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel and of the king's seed and of the princes, children in whom was no blemish, but well-favored and skillful in all wisdom and cunning in knowledge and understanding science and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace and whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. 
So Zedekiah's offspring, these were the seed royal. Daniel and his three friends would have been from the seed royal or the princes there in the city of Jerusalem. And Nebuchadnezzar wanted to change their nationality and their religion. He did not want them to stay as they were. In Daniel chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. Daniel 1, 5 through 7. And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat and of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years, that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. Now among these were the children of Judah, or of the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names. For he gave unto Daniel the name of Belteshazzar, and to Hananiah of Shadrach, and to Mishael of Meshach, and, uh, and to Azariah of Abednego. Nebuchadnezzar changed their names to names that would suit Nebuchadnezzar's religion. The name Daniel in the Hebrew means judge of God, but Daniel's name was changed to Belteshazzar, which means Lord of the Straitens Treasure. You'll notice the first part of the name Belteshazzar is Bel. Bel was the chief god of Babylon. So the Babylonians here incorporated the names of their gods into the names that they changed from these four young men. Hananiah in the Hebrew means Jah has favored. Jah referring to the Lord, Jehovah. His name was changed to Shadrach, which means royal or the great scribe or messenger. The last part of his name, R-A-C-H. Rack signifies a king with the Chaldees and is used by them of the sun which they worshiped. Mishael, his Hebrew name means who is what God is. His name was changed to Meshach, which means guest of a king. His name was Meshach. They had a goddess in Babylon by the name of Shishak and was a celebrated deity of the Babylonians. Azariah's Hebrew name means Jehovah has helped. His name was changed to Abednego, which means servant of Nego. Nego was the second most important god of the Babylonians by which they either meant the sun or the morning star, whether that be Jupiter or Venus. Now before we go on, I want to take a look at the city of Babylon. Babylon was the wonder city of the ancient world. Ancient historians tell us that the wall of the city of Babylon was 60 miles around, 15 miles on each side, so it was in a square. The walls were 300 feet high and 80 feet thick. You think of 300 feet, that's the distance of a 100-yard football field. And then 80 feet thick and 
they extended 35 feet below ground. So no one was going to be able to tunnel under the walls very easily to get in. On the walls, there were 250 towers, 250 watchtowers to look out for the enemy. And around the walls of Babylon, there were 100 gates of brass. So this gives us an idea about that part of the city of Babylon. The city was almost divided into two equal parts by the Euphrates River that ran through the midst of the city. There was one bridge that crossed the river. It was a half mile long and 30 feet wide. There were also ferries and there was a tunnel that was beneath the river. It was 15 feet wide and 12 feet high. These were also used. If you look online, you can go and look up the, the uh, the gates there, the Ishtar gate, I was trying to think of the name Ishtar, and there are some pictures there of a reconstruction of the gate of Ishtar in Babylon that has some of the original glazed bricks in it. And in these glazed bricks you can see animals such as lions and horses and something that even looks similar to a dinosaur there. But they also had other animals in the bricks there and you can see those things if you were to go online or go into a, a regular old encyclopedia and you might be able to see some of those things. Halley's Bible Handbook has a picture there of the ruins of the city of Babylon. You also might remember or want to know as well that Babylon was a commercial and religious metropolis. There is an inscription that reads like this, and I quote, Altogether there are in Babylon 53 temples of the chief gods, 55 chapels of Marduk, 300 chapels for the earthly deities, 600 for heavenly deities, 180 altars for the goddess Ishtar, 180 for the gods Nurgle and Ahad, and 12 other altars for different gods." Unquote. There were a lot of gods that were worshipped there. The great temple of Bel adjoined the Tower of Babylon that contained a golden image of Bel and a golden table. According to Halley's Bible Handbook, it says that this golden image of Bell and its golden table weighed no less than 50,000 pounds. At the top were golden images of Bell and Ishtar, two golden lions, a golden table 40 feet long and 15 feet wide, and a human figure of solid gold 18 feet high. Whenever we look in the book of Isaiah, chapter 14 verse 4 Isaiah chapter 14 verse 4 this is a prophecy of the destruction of Babylon and it says this that thou shalt take up this proverb against the king of Babylon and say how hath the oppressor ceased 
the golden city ceased. And we can see by the amount of gold here that we see in the images and all why Babylon was called the golden city there in the book of Isaiah. Now this is the environment in which these young Jewish men found themselves. They would face the trials of their faith. Now back in the book of Daniel chapter 1, now verse 8, we're going to see Daniel's purpose. Daniel chapter 1, verse 8. It says, But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Daniel purposed that in his heart. Daniel then had determined beforehand how he would act if faced with such situations. He didn't wait until sudden pressure was placed upon him. He was prepared. He was prepared to handle the situation that came. We need to be prepared as well. We need to prepare ourselves for different situations in our lives and determine what we will do when we are faced with these situations. You know, we are warned by God in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11 to be ready for Satan and his devices, his methods. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11. It says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. The Greek word there translated wiles is methodia, from which we get our English word method. The devil has his methods. The word means trickery. The devil will try to trick us into doing things that we would not do. Right here, Daniel was in a foreign land. He was a captive. He was in a group or in amongst a people. Again, as it mentioned earlier, they didn't understand the languages. They wanted to change their religion. Their names had now been changed, but Daniel was prepared. And we need to be prepared for the different situations that come our way. Daniel would not defile himself. When faced with the situation of obeying the king or God, Daniel obeyed God. His only concern was being obedient to God. He didn't let the possibility of persecution keep him from obeying. It would have been easier and simpler just to go along. But Daniel was a teenager who had integrity. What will a teenager that has integrity today not do? A teenager with integrity will not go to the prom. The prom, a good way to remember what prom means is pretty rough on morals. So Daniel would not go to the prom. What does a prom consist of? All you have to do is look up in the, you know, look on the, internet 
the prom will show you what it's all about. It's about immodest dress. It's about alcohol. It's about sex. It's about dancing, which is just another form of sexual activity. Daniel would not dance today because dancing is immoral. Daniel would not partake of alcohol because alcohol partaking is immoral. You know, just think about it. At the prom and at dances and stuff, you have to have what are called chaperones. If you have to have chaperones for something, I would question what it, how moral that it is. And we're warned to depart from iniquity. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19. It says, Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. The Lord knoweth them that are his. And let every one that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. We must depart from iniquity. We are warned to abstain from every form of evil. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 22. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 22. Abstain from all appearance of evil. That's the King James Version. The American Standard Version says abstain from every form of evil. If it appears to be evil, we are to stay away from it, not get involved in it. And hypocrisy will not be a trait of those who have Christ as their master. What is hypocrisy? Pretending to be something you're not. If Daniel had a partaken in the king's food and the king's wine and such as that, it would have caused him to be a hypocrite. In Romans chapter 12, look at verse 9. Romans chapter 12, verse 9. Let love be without dissimulation. The word dissimulation there in the King James Version is translated hypocrisy in the American Standard Version. So let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. And that's what Daniel did. He abhorred that which was evil. He cleaved to the good. In Matthew chapter 6, look at verse 24. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. It says, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. You can't do that. Of course, mammon there is riches personified. It's like an idol. There are, things, are idols in our lives today. You know, we have these such things that are called sacred cows. Oh, don't you talk about, you know, don't talk about drinking socially. That, you can, that's a sacred cow. Don't talk about going to the prom or not going to it. That's a sacred cow. Or going to the, that's a sacred cow, going to the dances and such. People don't want to hear that. But you know what? It takes courage to stand against the popular way. 
the way the world goes. That's the popular way. It takes courage to stand against that, and Daniel had courage. It takes depth of conviction to stand for what we know that God demands, what God expects of us. So Daniel would not defile himself with the king's food or drink. The word defile there is a Hebrew word that Strong says means to soil or desecrate. Daniel was not going to soil himself, become dirty with the king's food and drink. There are three suggestions as to why the king's food and drink would defile. Number one, the Babylonians were eating foods that were declared by the law of Moses to be unclean. Number two, they were eating animals that were improperly killed. Number three, they were eating food that had first been offered and sacrificed to their idol gods. That could be the food part. The wine could have been alcoholic. <coughs> that would have caused him to defile himself. But whatever the reason was, Daniel refused to sin against God. And we, no matter what age we are, need to refuse to follow the popular way and sin against God. That's the popular way is sin. And Daniel was persistent. Daniel was persistent. Daniel chapter 1. Verses nine through nine and ten. We've already read verse eight that Daniel had gone there to the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself, and he's persistent in that. And this is with the prince of the eunuchs. It says now God had brought Daniel into the favor and tender love with the prince of the eunuchs, and the prince of the eunuchs said unto Daniel, I fear my lord the king who hath appointed your meat and your drink. For why should he see your faces worse liking than the children which are of your sort? Then shall ye make me endanger my head to the king. See, there were those Hebrew children apparently here who did defile themselves, went right along with the king's food and the king's wine there. And this... Prince of the eunuch said, you know, if you don't eat the king's food and you look worse than those that are eating the king's food, my head's in danger. Well, then Daniel was persistent with Melzar the steward in Daniel chapter 1, verse 11. Daniel 1, 11. Then said Daniel to Melzar, the word Melzar there is translated the steward in the American Standard Version. It says there, whom the prince of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So Daniel there went to Melzar, the steward. And we will see that Daniel was not obstinate. Daniel just stated facts, and he didn't have to be obstinate in trying to get himself to be not defiled. We don't have to be obstinate. All we have to do is say our mind. And that doesn't mean being obstinate. That means being kind. And it means showing others the facts. So we're going to now see Daniel's proof. Daniel said, let's, let's try a test. Verses 12 through 14. 
he says, Prove thy servants, I beseech thee, ten days. Let them give us pulse to eat and water to drink. Then let our countenances be looked upon before thee, and the countenance of the children that eat of the portion with the king's meat. And as thou seest, deal with thy servants. So he consented to them in this matter and proved them ten days. You might recall from Daniel chapter 1 verse 5 that they had three years. So ten days is not going to matter a whole lot of the ten years. Now he said to give them pulse to eat and water to drink. Pulse is a Hebrew word meaning something sown. For example, a vegetable as food. It could have been beans or something like that and other vegetables. So here we see that Daniel said, let's try this. Let's, may us have this test. Let's try it 10 days. And let's see what the results will be. The results are given in Daniel 1, 15 and 16. Daniel 1, 15 and 16. It says, and at the end of 10 days, their countenance appeared fairer and fatter in flesh than all the children which did eat the portion of the king's meat. Thus Melzar took away the portion of their meat and the wine that they should drink and gave them pulse. So right there, that test proved what Daniel was trying to do, and Daniel did not defile himself. You see, Daniel knew what Paul later on knew in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. Daniel here was doing good for God, and he knew what Paul later on knew. Daniel knew what Peter later on knew as well. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, 2 Peter 2, 9, the Lord, is, the Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptation and to reserve the unjust until the day of judgment to be punished. So the Lord knows how to deliver, and he always provides us a way, and we'll look at that scripture in just a little bit. You see, the true test of Daniel's conviction started there with the king's meat and the king's wine. The true test of our convictions comes in many different places, in many different ways. It could come in the schoolroom. It could come at the workplace. It could come with our friends. It could come with our family. You know, if you're still in school, whether it be college or any grade below that, when our friends at school make fun of us, because we don't go to the prom, because we don't go to the dances, because we don't go drinking with them, because we don't do the things that they do, when we don't go along with the crowd, do we finally give in to the peer pressure? Or do we abstain from the activity and teach them why they should? Daniel was a good example here. We need to be good examples before others. When our friends at the workplace 
make fun of us or cut us down because we don't in, engage in activities that are culturally accepted, like playing the lottery, and gambling, drinking, dancing, the off-color jokes, the smoking, the dipping, the chewing, accepting denominations as part of the worldwide church. What do we do? Do we try to teach them the truth about such matters or do we just cower away and hide? When members of our family or our friends tell us how goody-goody that you are, you think you're better than we are, do we try to explain to them the truth or do we just go along with them? Daniel would not go along. God knows how to deliver us, and we must allow him to do it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, look at verse 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer or allow you to be tempted above that ye are able but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. Daniel was given a way to escape. See, the problem is whenever we're tempted, so often we don't look for the way of escape. Daniel, let's, help, let's eat pulse and drink water instead of drinking that old nasty wine and eating that old food from the king. Let's have, let's have pulse and water. That was a way of escape. Too often we don't look for the way of escape. And we just go right along. And whenever it comes to sports, oh, the kids have a ball game Wednesday night, so we can't go down to services that day. Does God provide a way to escape? Yes, he does. That way to escape is be faithful to God instead of being faithful to a worldly activity. How many times are practices and games and stuff scheduled on Wednesday night and on Sundays even now anymore as well? Practices. Oh, well, you got to practice Sunday. You're not going to play. All right, I won't play. My kid's not going to be there. Do we just give in? What about fishing or hunting? Got a gospel meeting going on. Oh, but it's the last day of turkey season. I can't go to that today. I've got to go hunting. The first day of deer season, I've got to go hunting. Are we really putting God first in our lives? Matthew 6, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things shall be added unto thee. Are we really seeking God first? Or do we just seek God whenever it's convenient for us. You ever missed services because family was there? Oh, they're only going to be here for a day or two, and, and if I go to services this evening or this morning or whatever, I'm going to miss out on visiting with them. You ever done that? If you did, you sinned. Because God should always come first in our lives, not second, not third. If we overcome the temptations in this life, we're going to do or receive 
like what Daniel and his friends received, and that is God's blessings. In Daniel chapter 1, look at verses 17 through 21. It says, as for these four children, and again, there were those apparently that did not care about defiling themselves, but these four didn't. As for these four children, God gave them knowledge and skill in all learning and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Now at the end of the days, that the king had said he should bring them in. Again, verse 5, that was three years later now. Then the prince of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. Now they're before the king, the one that had taken them captive three years earlier. So we're in around 603 B.C. now, aren't we? And the king communed with them. He talked with them. And among them all, and we don't know how many there were, but among them all was found none like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore stood they before the king. And in all matters of wisdom and understanding, this is verse 20, that the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers that were in all his realm. Again, remember, Nebuchadnezzar was a worshiper of false gods at this point. Verse 21 tells us that Daniel continued even unto the first year of King Cyrus. King Cyrus was the king of the Medes and Persians who conquered Babylon in 536 B.C. So that would have been 70 years later, as the prophet Jeremiah said, and we're going to see some more of that in Daniel as we go along as well. So if Daniel was a teenager, 13 to 19 years old, 70 years later, Daniel would have been in his mid to late 80s whenever the Babylonians were conquered. But you know, those four young men trusted God and they were successful. God was first in their lives. They didn't put family before God. They didn't put peer pressure before God. They didn't put worldly things before God. God was number one in their life, and God blessed them because they obeyed his commands. God blessed them. Their faith caused them to act. Go to the book of James with me. James chapter 2. James chapter 2. We want to begin reading there in verse 1. It says, My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect to persons. If they had respected the king more than God, 
they wouldn't have cared about defiling themselves, but they did care more about God. Now verse 2. For if there come unto you an assembly a man with a golden ring and goodly apparel, and there come in also a poor man in vile raiment, and you have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing, that's whatever gay meant what it's supposed to mean, and say unto him, Sit thou here in a good place, and say to the poor, Stand thou there, or sit here under my footstool? Are you not then partial, or divided in yourselves? and are become judges with evil thoughts. You know, they could have done what the king wanted them to do back in Daniel, what he had ordered, but they did not. Verse 5, Hearken, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom, which he hath promised to them that love him? Now I want to drop down to verse 15, verse 15, or verse 14. He says, What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and have not works? Can faith save him? Do you think that Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had faith in God? The answer to that is yes, they did. Now how did they show their faith? Could they just say, I believe in God, and just keep on and go on and eat that king's meat and that king's wine? No, they could not. And then he says, can faith save him? That's a rhetorical question. Faith cannot save anybody. Believing in God and in Jesus Christ cannot save one person if it's just believing in God. I believe there's a God. I believe Jesus Christ is his son. If that's all there is, it can't save you. You have to believe God. You have to believe Jesus Christ. And in that belief, there is an obedient faith. Faith that is not obedient is useless, as we will see later. Verse 15, if a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say to them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding ye give them not those things which are needful for the body, what does it profit? Oh, I believe in God. You go on your way. You be warmed and filled. It's not helping anybody. doesn't help you. doesn't help them. Your faith is useless. It's worthless. Verse 17, Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Faith without works is useless, just like a dead body. It's dead. I was out driving down the road this morning. There was a dead skunk in the middle of the road. Kind of reminds you of a song. You know what, what good was that? What good was that skunk? It, it's dead. The only thing it's good for is for buzzards to eat, and worms, and insects, and things, bacteria. Verse eighteen. Yea, a man may say, "Thou hast faith, and I have works." 
Show me thy faith without thy works. Show me thy faith without thy work, without work. Show, show me. Can we do it? The answer is no. Faith that is not obedient is useless. Daniel, Shadrach, and Abednego, Meshach, you know, if their faith had just been, we believe in God, we're going to go ahead and defile ourselves, that faith would have been useless. Would have been useless. Show me thy faith without thy works. I'll show thee my faith by my works. That's what they did. They showed their faith through their actions. Verse 19 of James 2. Thou believest that there is one God? Thou doest well. All right, I believe in God. I don't like some of those things he says in his word, though. You know, singing without mechanical instruments. I don't like that. I like the sound of mechanical instruments. Of course, that's not me saying that. I'm just quoting people. Well, what do you mean a woman can't preach or she can't lead prayers or whatever? I don't like that. Well, what do you mean I have to be at services on Sunday? I'd rather be fishing. Well, what, you know, we could bring up anything. As long as I believe in God, I'm saved. What does James say? Thou believest there is one God, thou doest well. The demons also believe and tremble. You have the faith of a demon. And are demons going to be saved? The answer is no. Verse 20, But thou wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith apart from works is dead? You believe in God, that's great. So do the demons. You know what he, what does he say? You're a vain man. You're useless. You're useless in your religion. You're useless to God. And then he gives a couple of examples. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac upon the altar? Can you imagine Abraham? Yeah, God, I believe in you. I'm not going to offer Isaac, but I believe in you. He would not have been justified. Verse 22, he says, Seest thou how faith wrought or worked with his works? And by works was faith made perfect or complete. Faith that does not act is not complete. It's not perfect. Verse 23, though, says, And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. See, not only did Abraham believe in God, Abraham believed God. Abraham believed him. Do we really believe God? Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did. They believed God. Verse 24. You see then how that by works a man is justified, not by faith only. Faith cannot save you. Faith cannot justify you. By works is a man justified along with his faith. It's kind of like getting out in a rowboat. You have an oar on one side, you label it faith. You have an oar on the other side, you label it works. If all you ever paddle with is faith, you're going around in circles. If you all you ever paddle with is works, you're going around in circles. Faith and works must work together in order for you to get somewhere. 
and in he and is religiously, it's in order for you to be accepted with God. Verse 25, Likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way? Justified by works. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. And Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, their faith was not dead. Their faith worked. They trusted God. They believed God. They were successful. God blessed them because they obeyed, not just because they believed. Their faith caused them to act. They knew that they were to do the actions that God would be pleased with, and we are too. In Ephesians chapter 2, a lot of people like to read verse 8, but they don't go on. It says, for grace, or by grace, are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, and then not of works, lest any man should boast. Right there, see there, we don't have to work. All I have to do is believe God. <coughs> well, wait a minute. Don't stop there. Look at verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Now, isn't that what Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Abraham, and Rahab did? They had good works which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Now, what kind of works are we talking about there in verse 9? Not by works. That's meritorious works. See, God, how good I am, like that Pharisee prayed. Whenever he was in the temple there, he was praying, Look at me, God, how good I am. Look at all my works I do. His faith was useless. His works were useless because his faith was no good. He didn't believe God. He believed there is a God. Well, you may be just like that Pharisee. You may be just like the demons. If you believe there's a God, you do well. We are created to do good works, and that's what Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Daniel, Abraham, and, Har and Rahab the harlot did. The Bible teaches us that God rewards those who are moved by faith and diligently seek Him. Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. I want to read verse 1 through 6. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is substantial. Faith is based on evidence. The question I ask is, did George Washington live? Did you ever meet him? Did you ever see him? No, we never saw him. But there's proof that George Washington lives. We have faith that George Washington lives because of the proof. He's not here anymore, but we know he lived. We know there's a God. 
We know he created all things. We know God's word is what we must obey because there is proof, there is evidence for that faith. Our faith's not a blind faith. The faith of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego was not a blind faith. For by it, or by faith, the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. By the word of God, of course Jesus is the creator, we know that from John 1, 1 through 3. We also know from Genesis chapter 1 that God said, let there be light. God said, the word of God, everything came into pass. Now I want to drop down to verse 6. But without faith, it is impossible to please God or please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. We can't diligently seek God and just say, oh, I believe in God and go on our own little way. We have to be obedient. No matter what we may face from day to day in our lives, whether that's at school, in the workplace, from our family or our friends, it is our duty to be faithful to God. We must not allow any situation to cause us to fall into the trap of doing what's popular. It takes backbone to be a genuine worker for God. It takes courage. Now Satan's going to oppose us from every angle. He's going to use our classmates. He's going to use our co-workers. He's going to use our friends. He's going to use our family to try to get us to defile ourselves. But we have a stalwart example of commitment to heaven's purposes in those four young Hebrew men. He provides or they provide a classic example of faithfulness for everyone who claims to serve God. So those four young teenagers they were men who refused to defile themselves. And it's up to us to refuse to defile ourselves. Thank you for listening today. We hope you enjoyed this program. You can find out more about Bible Media by visiting us at BibleWayMedia.org. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And we encourage you to please share this program, to like it on social media, Thank you for being with us today.